0: It's great to be with you today. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. As Mitch already mentioned, we'll be looking at the text that immediately follows the section that Mitch dealt with last week. So let's let's turn our attention to the Word of God and really... If you were to ask me what my goal is this morning, my, my desire for you is that you would get a glimpse of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in real life. Sometimes I think the theological concepts remain in the conceptual realm, and, and it's difficult to, to talk about how they apply to real life. And so my desire is that when you walk out of here today, you'll understand a little bit more what the fruit of the Spirit actually looks like in your life as you interact with others, both believers and non-believers. And this text speaks to both of those areas. I'd like to read the text in its entirety, and really we'll focus our attention on verses 1 through 10 of chapter 6. I already had a few people text me and say, boy, You've uh, taken off a a lot of uh, text here to finish in like one hour, and uh, I agreed with him, Uh, but I think it will help us to get the context of what is around it. So let's start our reading in chapter 5 and verse 26. Again, thinking about how the fruit of the Spirit shows up in real life, Galatians 5, Beginning in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. I want to give you four ideas to think about this morning as we work our way through this text. I'll give them to you at the outset here, and then we'll talk about them one by one. Uh, just just four ideas from this text. They are these humble boldness, courageous love, self-examination, and eternal perspective. Humble boldness, courageous love. Self-examination and eternal perspective. Let's look first at humble boldness. We see this in verse 26 of chapter 5. This verse seems to provide this transition from what the fruit of the Spirit is to how the fruit of the Spirit shows up in real life. Uh, We could read this verse in this way. Let us not become vain, glorious, or empty of honor. What is conceit? He's saying here, let us not become conceited. And and, and so conceit is a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory leading to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. And he's saying, don't be that. Because that inevitably leads to comparing ourselves with others, and there's a big danger sign there. Now, this ties into what the overarching message of the book of Galatians is, which is, you know what, salvation and sanctification are both rooted in God's grace, not in keeping the law, right? Because if you and I can keep the law and earn God's favor, then we're going to compare ourselves with each other. Like, I'm better at keeping the law than they are. No, salvation and sanctification is all of God's grace. And so he says, coming out of this section here, again, verse 25, which we will note uh, of of chapter 5, we'll note that in just a moment again, but if we live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit, and the first thing he says, the first evidence of the fruit of the Spirit at work in my life is that I do not become conceited. I am not all about my own honor. As many of you know, I am sure, yesterday was a a big day in college football. It's known as Rivalry Day. So, first of all, I I am very sorry for those of you whose team did not win, okay? My team was out of it a long time ago. But as I, I, I spent some significant time yesterday watching football, And you know what I observed? I observed a lot of provoking and envying. I saw more fights yesterday than I care to see. Now now again, these guys are all amped up. It's rivalry day. Uh, All of that's going on, and yet uh, we see what we're not supposed to see. Uh, let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another now again i know that most of those young men probably are not believers in the gospel of jesus christ and yet there's an example there uh, what what is provoking and what is envying these things that are tied to this idea of conceit. Well, provoking is what you do to somebody else when you feel superior to them, and envying is what you do to somebody else when you feel inferior to them. And so, you know, in a football game, when somebody makes a good play, they start strutting around and and uh, showing up the other team. Uh, when you're getting beat up in a football game, you, you, you're feeling inferior, and again, that that... That, that spurs something within us that we do not like. On a more personal level, I played basketball yesterday. I had to work off some Thanksgiving calories. And you know what? I felt this yesterday. There was about 15 guys out there, and I don't know why, folks, competition just has a way. It threatens at every angle to bring out the worst in us. And so immediately, what do you do? You're out there with these guys, you're playing basketball, and you immediately, at least I do, maybe I'm confessing too much here. I begin to measure myself against other people. I'm better than this guy, I'm better. You know what? We we just for some reason that's how we're wired in our flesh. And this idea of provoking when you when when you feel that you are superior to somebody. And again, you in in the context of athletics, but this shows up in every aspect of life. We we show people up or envying When you feel inferior, you don't feel like you are valued for all the things that you think and know that you are doing. All the things that you're doing behind the scenes that nobody knows. And you begin to envy those who get all the glory. And this is one of the first things that Paul says the fruit of the Spirit changes in us as we do not become conceited. We don't provoke one another. We don't envy one another. This this idea of superiority and inferiority goes away. And we find that we find our fulfillment in Christ. Not in ourselves. Conceit left unchecked causes us to disdain those who are better than us. And deride or devalue those who we deem worse than us. Let me say that again. Conceit left unchecked causes us to disdain those who are better than us and deride or devalue those we deem worse than us. And so far from being conceited, which is miserable and exhausting, we should be characterized by a humble boldness. There's a great word. It's the word sanguine. Do you know that word? S-A-N-G-U-I-N-E. It means a confident, hopeful, optimistic, cheerful, resolute mindset. That should be the mindset. of. The, see, we, we, don't, we don't view ourselves as the doormat of the world, but we certainly don't view ourselves as the answer to everything. We view Jesus as the answer to the problems, and we find true fulfillment and meaning when we rest in Christ and we live out of our relationship with Him and allow the fruit of the Spirit to change us for the glory of God. I realize that I'm living for a purpose that's far bigger than me and far bigger than the temporary. To continue with the sports metaphor, I think the most underrated guys in football are the big guys, the, the linemen. Nobody ever buys their jerseys, right? Nobody knows their names many times. But I can tell you this, the battle's won in the trenches, By guys who are joyfully and confidently committed to a cause greater than them. And they don't get any glory. But you know when they're not there. That's that's how we should be. This is this idea. I'm not conceited. It's not about me. It's about God and His glory. It's about giving myself away for a cause far greater than me. It's about investing my life in people. And this is the type of mindset that affects how we deal with other people. I think that's why Paul goes there first. If we don't deal with this first, we'll never be able to do what comes now in chapter 6. So humble boldness is this foundation for what comes next. And let's look now at courageous love. And we see this in the first three verses of chapter 6. Before we get there, and and, and I'll just read this to you. We've already read it, and it's very short. It's it's helpful for us to take a peek back at 525. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is a transition point in this letter. Uh, Living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Please understand, this is not some reference to, like, upper echelon Christianity. It's normal. This should be the norm. Life in the Spirit involves genuine, real-life, practical love for one another. It results in true biblical community. And so our text today speaks of our responsibilities to one another in the body of Christ. Paul follows the all-important passage about what the fruit of the Spirit is with a very practical section about what flows out of that. And it is instructive to note that he doesn't say anything about signs and wonders. He doesn't go into any detail about spiritual gifts. But rather, he talks about how the community of faith operates when the fruit of the Spirit is understood and applied. And this is often overlooked. Life in the Spirit very simply involves healthy relationships within the body of Christ. I like what one well-known pastor said to someone who came to him and said, we, we need to see more signs and wonders. And he responded, he said, you know what? A lady has been evicted from her home due to financial distress. It would be a sign and wonder if you would take them in. <laughs> that may be an extreme example, but folks, this gets to the point of what we're talking about. Um, we live... In a world, and I would even say we live in an evangelical environment that too often calls us to the extraordinary and we lose sight of the ordinary, of giving ourselves away to the people in this room. We get caught up in the dangerous trap of constantly pursuing the next spiritual high. And yet, Scripture seems to constantly bring us back to the incredible privilege and value of simply. Uh, having joy and fulfillment that comes by being cheerfully optimistic, hopeful, and confident that because of all that Jesus has done and is doing in me and even through me, I can live in this community for His glory. You know what, most of the time that plays itself out in what we would say really mundane or normal ways. Marriage, family, church, work relationships, this is where the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Spirit-filled life looks like, is not provoking and not envying, not being conceited in my normal everyday life. Isn't it ironic and sad that we generally reserve our worst behavior for the people who know us best? (laughs) And I think that's an indication of, of we, we don't value the mundane like we should. Don't miss out on all the blessings of the mundane. This is Christianity, loving one another. You know, we live in such a high-tech world. I can remember, even in my lifetime, okay, so, so you, like my kids, I, my oldest child is 25. Like when I went to college, I took a typewriter with me. And, and I took a computer class where it was like green letters on a screen, right? Technology, I remember them talking about, you know, you, you'll be able to talk to people someday and you'll be able to see them. And I thought, no way. And now, that's laughable, right? Like, like, it's a good thing I wasn't the guy who tried to found, like, Apple and Microsoft. We would have gotten nowhere. But in the midst of all our technology and this, this connected world, it seems as though people are more and more isolated. We're busy, but we're lonely. Researchers have called this a, a crowded loneliness you know what we need? We need true community. True relationships where it's not based upon what you do for me. It's based upon what Christ has done for us. And we give ourselves away for that cause. Folks, I think you know this. I don't need to tell you this. And it's probably even more true now as we come into this holiday season. People crave deep, meaningful, and abiding relationships. And, and we have the answer there. We have the answer for how you can form those in a truly meaningful and lasting way. And so chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, tells us that we need to be on the lookout for those in need. And the first thing we need to do here, uh, again, under this main point of courageous love, all right, so a humble boldness, we're not conceited, we're not provoking, uh, we're not envying But this uh, courageous love, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so part of this uh, courageous love is restore in a spirit of gentleness. And he gives, there's two word pictures in the New Testament that are associated with this word. And it's the the word restore is what I'm looking at. The first word picture, it's used in the Gospels to, to speak of, of setting a broken bone. Why, why do you do that? When, when you break a bone, why do you go to the doctor and have it set? And, and by the way, you want to get it set right, and, and you, want to, you don't want to rush through that. Well, the reason you do that is because you want to be able to use it again. The second word picture where this same word restore is used is in the mending of a net. Uh, and why do you do that, right? Well, it's because you don't want to lose all the fish. You want to. You want that net to be useful. A couple examples come to mind here, and one of these is you know, uh, you ever have those dad fail moments? Um, I've had some of those uh, when when Justin was uh, probably eleven or twelve. He's playing baseball and uh, he slid into second base in kind of an awkward slide and he was saying his arm was hurting him and uh, the problem was if he if he had to come off the field the team was going to have to forfeit the game and so good dad that I am I'm like you're fine you know i mean if it hurts you a little bit just get up in the batter's box and take pitches don't swing you know and i'm sitting there trying to throw with him and he's you know can barely throw and it, you look back on this and think did i really do that I did, <laughs> sure enough, he had a broken arm, and I you know strongly encouraged him to finish the game what 's my point don 't just assume that people are okay you, you may You may see someone in the church that that you 're you know something may be wrong, and don't, don't just assume they're okay. Don't just, like, tell them to keep... Get in there, dig in a little bit, and find out what's going on. This, this is the idea here. If someone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a, spiritual, in a spirit of gentleness. Take the time to truly discern and discover their needs and struggles. Take great care to not only diagnose, but also treat them. Why? Because the idea here is we want them to be used again. We, we want them to be living for, for what they were made to do. The idea here, too, is, is this is someone who, it, it, it uses the word, they're caught in any transgression. Something grabs them and they fall, and, and all of a sudden they're broken. Maybe this has been going on behind the scenes and it comes out publicly, but there's a key word here, too, that the way we do this is with a spirit of gentleness. I think one of the most profound experiences I've had in pastoral ministry and by the way, I was thinking about this. I've, I've been in pastoral ministry now for about um, 11 years, so even though I'm like the old guy on staff, both Phil and Justin have more pastoral experience than I do. But one of the more profound moments that I have, I've had in, in pastoral ministry in this realm, um, I, don't, I think as long as I have a mind, I don't think I'll forget this. It was a Saturday night in... Um, as I recall, I was sitting there at the time, I was preach—I was going to be preaching the next day, and so I'm kind of like getting my thoughts together, and it was like 9.30 or 10 o'clock, and all of a sudden I get a text from a, a young man, Trisha and I had been counseling this couple, and he basically said, I, uh, me and a few other people need to meet you in your office like right now. And so we met in my office, and so it was this young man and his wife and another young man, and... what what came out was that the wife had had an affair with this other young man who happened to be this guy's best friend. Now, why I'm telling you this is because I'm honing in here on the spirit of gentleness. Because the way that the guy who had had been wronged responded will forever remain in my mind. This, this guy was like strong as an ox, okay? An athlete, a man's man, and he could have easily taken that guy that had uh, had an affair with his wife and pummeled him into non-existence. And he didn't do that. Instead, I uh, he, he literally, and there, and there was lots of conversation, and unfortunately his wife was non-repentant. He pulled out his marriage vow, and read it to her and said, I will forgive you, and just pursued her in a supernatural way, and she rejected him. That's gentleness. That's meekness. When you have every right, he had been wronged. You have every right, humanly speaking, to just like let it fly. And he didn't do it. A spirit of gentleness. Now, there's part of that too is, you know, when we talk about marriage, we're talking covenantal territory. Right, they had a covenant of marriage, and this young man understood that. He wasn't going to give up on that. But let me transition now back into this body, particularly those of you who are members of this church. Guess what? This is a covenantal community. We have a covenantal relationship with one another, and there's about 230 of us. And we have committed to do a lot for each other and with each other. We need to remind ourselves of that, that when someone falls, that we restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, these two pictures here, that this, the way this word is used in the New Testament to talk about the mending of a net or the setting of a broken bone, it probably gives us a clue that we don't need to be going around confronting everything, Okay? Uh, and, and there's scripture that speaks to this too. Love covers a multitude of sins, and scriptures like that. But to be fair, the balance here can be hard to discern at times, right? Of when is it time to go in a spirit of gentleness and fear and try to restore someone? And so we need God's wisdom. We this is why we need the fruit of God's spirit to be actively at work in us. This is why we need the body. This is why we need other believers. And so my, my counsel to you there would be this. A good rule, perhaps, would be that if your natural inclination is to avoid confrontation, you should be careful that you're not abdicating on this. But if your natural inclination is to engage in confrontation, you should probably be careful that you're not dominating in this area. It's pretty likely that more than half of us in this room, and, and you notice I, I include myself there, more than half of us don't like confrontation. Now, my personality is like, who does? But you know what? We have to do it. We must. You know, We're part of a covenant community. It demands it. We are disobedient if we don't do this. And, and so we can't, if, if you're like me, right, and, and you don't like this rum, we can't just say, well, that's, I'm just going to allow someone else to do that. No. But at the same time, if, if this is something that, again, in your makeup and your gifting, you don't hesitate to confront, be careful that you're doing it in a spirit of gentleness, Perhaps we could say it this way as we move into chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2 of chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This may not be the right word, but it, it helps me. When, when I think of, of how God has, has gifted 230 members in this church very, very differently, some who are uh, would would run from confrontation some who would run to confrontation when we when we think about this whole realm of bearing one another's burdens maybe we could think about it this way feel one another's burdens in other words, when, you're, when you finally, if, if you struggle with this and, and you finally get to the point where you say, I, I'm going to go, I, I want to do what's right. Or, uh, again, if, you're, if this is not a problem for you, and again, b- we, we need both. Uh, we need to truly understand what's going on in that other person's life. And this is the value of relationships. This is the value of community. We need to feel the depth of what they're going through. We need to feel the weight of what they're going through. We need to feel the seriousness of it. And again, we're talking about sin, so it's very serious. The point, the greater point here, folks, is this, that, that, that we have to have a relationship before we can really dig deep here. We have to know this person. They need to know us. There has to be some level of trust But we do this, right? And and the word here that's used, bear one another's burdens, uh, this this is a a burden that is too heavy for them to bear. It's crushing. And we do this because we love them. It says here, so fulfill the law of Christ. What did Jesus say when He was asked to uh, explain the law? He said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is no fun. It's, it, it truly, in, in its purest form, is not natural to any of us. And yet this is the way we fulfill the law of Christ, is by loving our neighbor enough to care about them when they're crushed under a weight that may be of their own doing. This is courageous love. But he also says here, be careful, verse 3. Watch out. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this kind of takes us back to uh, where we started today. Ver- chap- uh, chapter 5 and verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying, thinking you know, it's, it, it, because we're fallen human beings, we can go into these situations kind of thinking like, boy, I sure am glad that's not me. We, we would never vocalize some of these things, right? But isn't it, our minds are just like terrible places sometimes. And we have these thoughts like, boy, I would never do that. And, and it's like Paul literally knows you're going to think that, and I'm going to think that, and so he says, don't do that, watch out, Be careful. Because if you think you're something, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. You're conceited. So we need to pursue love with courage. Humble boldness, courageous love. And then that verse, verse 3, leads us to a very important aspect of this, and that is self-examination. Verses 4 through 8, he says to us, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not to his neighbor. It's an interesting section here. Let me see if we can fill this out a little bit. So while you are bearing others' burdens and restoring them to health, you must also fulfill your own obligations. Verse 5 says, for each one will have to bear his own load. And so in this chapter, we have this idea of bearing one another's burdens, but also bearing your own load, but it's different ideas. In in verse 2, we're talking about a crushing weight. In in verse 5, we're basically talking about a backpack. Uh, There's a a stark difference there. And what, what Paul seems to be saying here is this, our mirror should be Christ. not other people. This theme really dominates this section, verses 4 through 8. Basically what Paul is saying is instead of looking at your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes in view of how you're doing in comparison to the people around you, put your thoughts and your attitudes and your actions before the lens of the holiness of God. All of a sudden that gets pretty sobering. Then you will begin to see yourself rightly. It's easy to compare ourselves to each other, but to put our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions before the holiness of God and to have any and every facet of them that is not God-honoring and Christ-exalting exposed, all of a sudden we find ourselves very needy people. We find ourselves in need of grace and mercy before a holy God. And in the process, we find a reservoir of grace and mercy to now show to other people. When we see ourselves rightly before God, we are finally freed up to begin to see others rightly before God. And then we are not interested in provoking or envying them. Instead, we are interested in loving and serving them. And all of this happens through self-examination. The way you combat vain competition in our hearts and in our lives in the church is through humble confession before God. One man has said it this way, combat competition with confession. That's the picture of self-examination. We are responsible for our own actions and also for our own faithfulness to use the gifts and abilities God has given us for His glory. We need to be faithful. He, he, he There's some interesting just... Uh, they can almost seem like random, but they, 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 they are connected here in the sense of how we live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and how we interact relationally with other believers. And so verse 6 can kind of seem like it's out of nowhere where it says, One who has taught the Word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, I think very simply what that is saying is, look, uh, have you had somebody pour into your life? I, I think when, when we see the word share there, share all good things, with them, we all, maybe our minds immediately run to like uh, physical, financial, the financial realm, but let, what if we keep this in the spiritual realm? Have you had people who have come to you in a spirit of meekness and fear, and, and you knew they had your highest good and, and ultimately the glory of God in mind? People who you trust, who have come to you, and and you know that's not easy, folks, right? It's not easy to go to someone and say, hey, What's going on? How are you? That's not easy. Have you had people do that to you for your own spiritual good? He's saying, hey, look, then you go do that. You be there for them when they need that. This is what this community is all about. And it is interesting because immediately after that, he says, look, what you sow, you'll reap. I don't mean to be harsh in in any way. But but folks, when it comes to the realm of relationships, sometimes what you sow, you reap. In, in in this body of believers, folks, we need to be committed to sowing the fruit of the Spirit, sowing humility, not sowing provocation or envy. But sowing in a manner that people know, hey, this person is committed to my highest good for the glory of God. It's sobering to think about for whatever one sows, that will he also reap when you look back to uh, restoring someone in a spirit of gentleness. Verse 8, again, a striking verse. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know this, folks, we are not saved by our works, okay? Case closed. <laughs> that, it, it, Paul is actually fighting against that in this book. He's saying, I mean, his, 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 the greater point in this book is, look, do not, you, you cannot save yourself by keeping the law. These people who are telling you that you need to be circumcised to please God, He uses strong language for them. He's he's saying that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But, verse 8 is still here. If we sow to our flesh, we will reap that. Because it ultimately proves that we never tasted of the grace of God. Those who sow to the Spirit will one day know the eternal blessings of God. One of the phrases that's in our church covenant that maybe, maybe I obsess over it too much. Um, I can be a, a pretty like uh, logical, uh, you know, I like to have things lined up. But this phrase, delighting in Christ, I, I sometimes think, okay, what does that really mean? And I think when I begin to fill that out, one of the things that means is that I live with joy and confidence because I know Jesus is king. And so it matters then what I sow. If I really believe that Jesus is king... I can delight in that and realize that, you know what, my responsibility is to not provoke, to not be conceited, to not envy, to be filled with the Spirit of God. And even if that doesn't work out real well for me here, that's okay, because Jesus is King. Self-examination. leads to eternal perspective. So humble boldness, courageous love, self-examination, and then eternal perspective. What are we called to? What is being a Christian all about? Well, verse 9 gives us an indication. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up so then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith you don't have to turn there but peter talks about this as well in very similar language in chapter 2 and verse 20 of first peter where he says for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if, you, when, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps by doing good, even when you don't get treated right for doing good. You can only do that when you have an eternal perspective. And so, what comprises this eternal perspective. Well, I would say perseverance and purpose. I persevere. I don't grow weary of doing good because I know I'm going to reap. That's that law of sowing and reaping if I do not give up. But the only way that law makes sense is if there's something more. If there is indeed a God in heaven. If indeed... The Lord is my shepherd, and He has invited me to His table and, I, uh, table, and someday I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Perseverance and purpose, and then praise and not pride. I, I want to just summarize here as we draw to a close verses 11 through 18, okay? Uh, Because it can, at face value, come across as just kind of like random things as Paul closes this letter. Even verse 11 is interesting. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. You could take that, folks, in this way. Like Paul is saying, look, uh, this is so important. I wrote this myself. I didn't have someone write this for me. Most scholars think that Paul had something wrong with his vision, and therefore when he wrote it wasn't the prettiest thing. But he's saying, look, this is so important to me. I want you to know this, this isn't a, a, a fraudulent copy. I'm writing this myself. And then he goes on to kind of summarize what he has argued for in the entire book, saying, look, circumcision is nothing. Everything is found in the grace that has been shown to us in Christ. And we started this morning by looking at uh, verse 26, let us not become conceited. And so in in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says this, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The, the, The word there Um, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. He's, He's using a word there that can say, hey, look, you know what? This is how I'm going to praise God, is I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I am crucified in Christ, that I'm living for this cause that's far greater than me. And when we do that, we are consumed with what he says as doing good to everyone, but especially those who are of the household of faith. That phrase, doing good, it, it literally could be translated as doing that which is beautiful. That, that's what the people of God should be known for, is those, those people do beautiful things. Living by the power of God's Spirit at work in us He has to tell us not to grow weary because growing weary is a natural vice in all of us. Doing good requires continued effort and sometimes constant toil. Human nature is to quit, but don't quit. We we do this for the sake of the cross. If if we're going to... uh, if we are going to receive praise for anything, let's, let's, let's receive it because of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do good for the sake of God's name. Do good for the sake of the cross. Do good because you absolutely believe in the eternal promises of God. It, it's in this realm where I think we have to really ask ourselves and ask God to give us faith to believe in His eternal promises. We're going to sing in just a moment It's kind of the chorus of of the song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And it says this, To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine! I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The fruit of the Spirit, folks, is... Christ in us. We we, we want to show Christ not only to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we want to show Christ to a lost and dying world. And if you think that's impossible to live this way, you're right. It is. You can't do it in and of your own strength. So, So, whatever aspect of this that you struggle with, maybe you struggle with actually going to a brother or sister in Christ and confronting them. Or maybe you struggle with, uh, you you have no problem going, but you struggle with a spirit of gentleness. I I would remind you that the same grace that saves you is the same grace that sanctifies you. You cannot do this on your own. I love the old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, left for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed, hear this phrase, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Salvation and sanctification. If you're here today and perhaps this entire sermon has been foreign to you, perhaps you've never believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I urge you to do that. Paul in this book of Galatians is arguing against earning your salvation and arguing for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so we believe and unashamedly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ here, the good news about Jesus, that Jesus lived and died and rose again and is coming again. And that all who are in Christ are saved. That if we will repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, we will be saved. But that's a very humbling thing to do. Salvation is humbling because we're admitting, I cannot save myself. And it's the same in the realm of sanctification, folks. You cannot sanctify yourself. You need the grace of God. I want to give you just some very, very practical points of application, and then we'll be done. As I, I think about how do we do this in our church, how, how do we love one another in this body? And, and I, I, please don't walk away from here thinking primarily about confrontation. Let's think about the life, the, the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the church, I would encourage you, number one, to regularly read and contemplate the church covenant. What have we actually covenanted to do together? I would encourage you to take advantage of our church directory. And if some of you are wondering what that is, feel free to email the office and we'll try and get you hooked up. We've moved to really a more technological uh, directory. And the reason for that in many ways is because this church is growing rapidly rapidly that uh, we could print a a printed copy today and it would be outdated next month. I know that sounds like a very mundane thing, but a church directory, I think you would be shocked at how many people you see in our church directory you actually don't know. Because I'm a pastor here and I think that sometimes. (laughs) But we can't care for people that we don't know. I would encourage you that if you're not in a small group, that you get in a small group. And, and, and begin to get to know people on a more personal level. And then finally, I want to encourage you to pray. If you, if you see people or, or know of people who, who aren't here, communicate with them. Ask them. This is a great way to care for other people in the body is to simply ask them how you can pray for them. The fruit of the Spirit at work in us is a very beautiful thing in the body of Christ. And I pray that God will continue to work this out in all of our lives for His glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that Your Word would continue to guide us, even when it comes to very practical areas. I pray that the theology that we embrace would would not be separated from the relationships that we enjoy. Uh, Lord, if there are, are those here who are feeling relationally deprived, disconnected, um, Lord, help us to know how to help them, and I pray that even now you would uh, work in their hearts to uh, voice their need, that we would know best how to serve one another in love, that the fruit of your spirit would be at work in us intangible. In expressible ways that cause us to truly value uh, the covenant that we have together as we pursue the glory of God here at Faith Bible Church. Lord, I pray that we would glory only in the cross, that we would realize that we can only do that by Your grace, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.